Friends, this week uh, marks the second to last chapter of our sermon series, Half-Truths, which follows the book, Half-Truths, by Pastor Adam Hamilton. Over the past couple months, uh, we've explored the phrases, the devil made me do it, everything happens for a reason, God helps those who help themselves, and God won't give you more than you can handle. Today, we look to the phrase, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Before we do, let's pray. Living God, help us to hear your holy word with open hearts so that we may follow you in faithfulness and obedience, seeking your honor and glory in all that we do. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. I have absolutely used this phrase before. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. It's one I've heard many times, both here at North Holland and in many other Christian circles. When I have said it, I mean it like this. Look, the Bible says this, so I guess it's the way it is. Or, don't take it up with me, take it up with God. As I reflect on the context in which I've used this phrase, it's been to end a discussion before it turns into an argument. Like when I am asked why it's biblical for me to be a pastor by people who are not affirming of women in ministry. Take it up with God. Pastor Adam actually does use the example of women in the church in his book, if you would like to read more about that. Or I've used this phrase, when I'm trying to sort out what God has to say about something important, but I confuse myself the more I try to sort it out. That process often turns into proof texting, which is where I grab a handful of verses from across the Bible and cobble a case together that is ultimately more about my own insecurities than it is about God's will. This phrase, God said it, I believe it, that settles it, feels like the ultimate because I said so, which every parent says to every child at some stage. Mom, why can't I stay out late? Which is something I said to my mom a lot. Because I said so. Dad, why can't I have another dessert? Because I said so. I love dessert. Before we do anything more with this saying, I want to make a few things really, really clear. Getting curious about this phrase does not mean we are neglecting our commitment to Scripture. It does not mean that we do not trust Scripture. It does not mean Scripture matters less to us. We are holding up this phrase, God said it, I believe it, that settles it, because the honest truth is that God is more than a because-I-said-so God. And so that shouldn't be our only approach to Scripture. Let's turn today to our reading from 2 Timothy 3. We're going to hear verses 14 through 17, but lean especially into verses 16 and 17, as you see on the screen. 
Hear the word of the Lord from the book that we love, from 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God might be equipped for every good work. There's a few things we need to keep in mind as we read this passage from 2 Timothy 3. The first thing is that Paul, the author, never claims to literally receive God's words. Paul never says God said it at any point in any of his letters. Moses, the prophets, and the writer of Revelation do record that the Lord spoke directly to them sometimes. But most of the time, the biblical authors, like Paul, do not assert any form of dictation. Instead, They write their own insights, their own reflections and ideas concerning God's will. Certainly, Paul expected his readers to take him seriously and believe he was led by God. But I think Paul would be surprised by Christians who conflate his words with God's words. I think Paul would be intimidated by that. What Paul does say is that all scripture is God-breathed. The Greek word for that is theopneustos. I forgot to ask Aaron if that's how you say it, so I'm just going to go with it. This is the only occurrence of the Greek word in the entire Bible, theopneustos. And it is a word that does not appear in any other ancient literature. Isn't that cool? All right, well, it's cool to me. It comes from two words, from theo, which means God, and pneustos, which refers to breath or wind or spirit. Paul does not explain what he means by the word. God breathed, theo pneustos. So while we can conclude that Paul thought all scripture was influenced by God, we can only speculate what he meant by that because he doesn't explain himself. And our speculation becomes really clear when we look at different translations of this passage. The one we just read this morning from the New International Version says all scripture is God-breathed. The English Standard Version says all scripture is breathed out by God. The New Revised Standard Version says all scripture is inspired by God. And the King James Version says all scripture is given by inspiration by God. 
Paul believed that scripture forms and shapes our understanding of who God is and what God's will is for our lives so that we can be equipped to do what is good. Sometimes that formation comes through teaching, sometimes through rebuking, and sometimes through training. God is certainly influencing that process, inspiring it and breathing into it, but Paul did not know exactly how that worked. As Pastor Adam points out in his book, Paul may have written that all scripture is God-breathed in response to a conversation among Jewish communities wondering which individual writings were holy. While the Sadducees and the Samaritans considered only the Torah, the law, to be authoritative, the Pharisees did count the prophets and the wisdom literature as authoritative too. Paul spoke against the Sadducees and he argued that the Torah, the prophets, and the wisdom literature were all inspired by God, all breathed by God. But to further complicate this on our end, when Paul's talking about scripture, he's not thinking about the Gospels or Acts or Revelation or the letters in the New Testament, including his own, because they were not written yet. And certainly he does not write of his own letters as scripture. What we can take away from Paul and the debate between the Sadducees and the Pharisees is that they took the Bible seriously. They took the Bible seriously. They believed God spoke through scripture, but they also really disagreed about its meaning. And at times, they offered very different interpretations. They were not at all settled. They actively wondered together about where and how God was merging his story with theirs. Before her really tragic death last May, a Christian writer named Rachel Held Evans said this in an interview. I believe the Bible should be a conversation starter, not a conversation ender. Being people of faith is not just about being right about things. Being people of faith is about being part of a community, and the Bible invites us into community precisely because it's difficult to understand. I agree with Rachel. The problem for me with the phrase, God said it, I believe it, that settles it, is that it can easily suffocate a conversation that God intends to breathe into it can communicate that we know everything we will ever know about God or about Scripture. It can cause us to feel shame when we don't understand something Scripture says. And it can intimidate us out of spending devotional time with God. It can convince us that we don't need the community in order to pursue what we learn about God in Scripture. And that's dangerous. How can Scripture teach and rebuke and correct and train us in righteousness apart from the community of believers? So for me, the whole truth behind this half-truth 
is God inspires it. We interpret it. And we seek to live it out as best as we can. God inspires it. We interpret it. And we seek to live it out as best as we can. I really love the language, God inspires it. Because it means that scripture is still living and active. It recognizes the unique covenant relationship God established with people who will sometimes not hear him correctly. It gives the biblical author some grace, recognizing that God is indeed at work in their writing, but that they were limited to a specific audience in particular historical circumstances. It puts the work back on us to wonder what these stories mean today. It gives God room to breathe. God inspires it. We interpret it, recognizes the truth that absolutely every single one of us interprets scripture. Every single one of us. We could all be accused of picking and choosing passages to live by and passages to disregard. We all do that. Uh, Pastor Adam gives a really great example of this in the book. There was a young man in his congregation who wanted to get a tattoo. So his father, who didn't want him to get a tattoo, quoted Leviticus 19.28, which says, you shall not tattoo yourselves, among other things. And he used that for his son to say that you cannot get a tattoo. Well, the young man who really wanted one, looked up the passage, and he noticed that the verse right before it, the verse directly before it, includes rules about men's hair and beards. He cited scripture back to his father to remind him that getting a haircut, at least if it involved cutting the hair on the side of his head, was also forbidden. So if I can't get a tattoo, you can't cut the side of your beard. We all interpret as part of following God, and we sometimes disagree about when to take passage literally and when to approach them figuratively. It's important that we diligently and faithfully interpret scriptures and apply them to our daily lives together. God inspires it, and we interpret it. Finally, we seek to live this out as best we can. We seek to live it out as best as we can. We join a life group. We do some research in a commentary or a study Bible. And we lean in to our life together as church. We recognize that our own biases can lead us to hear what we want to hear. Conservatives, seeing Jesus as a conservative, tend to find scripture passages that line up with their own viewpoints and then gloss over passages that do not. And guess what? Progressives do the exact same thing. We focus on certain passages and ignore others in seeking support for our views. But if we try to set aside our biases, which we all have, and use some basic tools and bring together our intellect and experience, all of us, together, we will find studying the Bible to be a great adventure. We'll discover even deeper truths 
in the text. We'll see things, even though we've read the verse dozens of times, that we have never seen before. That's the blessing we receive in realizing that the meaning of the text is not completely settled and that God continues to speak through the Bible in new and fresh ways. God inspires it. We interpret it. And we seek to live it out as best as we can. It's a little different than God said it, I believe it, that settles it. It's definitely not as easy to fit on a bumper sticker. But it feels a little bit more honest to me. God inspires it. We interpret it. And we seek to live it out as best as we can. I'd like to close with a prayer that I encountered again at our Church's Learning Change Retreat in October. It's one of my favorite prayers, um, so we spent some time with it in RCYF a week ago as well. The prayer is written by Thomas Merton, who was a monk in the mid-1900s. I remembered this prayer again as I considered what feels like the daunting task of interpreting Scripture faithfully in community when we don't always agree So I invite you to take on a posture of humility as we pray this prayer, knowing that we are all beloved by God. Let's pray together.